Hello, 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 hello. It's good to see you. Say hello. Welcome to the Husky Hockey Podcast, your number one resource to remind you that if you don't have a good penalty kill, everything can come crashing down in a meteoric splat to the ground or to the ice rink or to Amsoil or anything else. We crash more than the Edmund Fitzgerald. We'll say that. Yeah, crash and burn and flames. There's just flames everywhere. For the for the side of your face, side of my face. <laughs> I'm Weldy, sitting with Andrew, and if you are uh, liking the Clue references and the Gordon Lightfoot here, you're definitely in the right place. Because as far as anything else to talk about uh, for for the Huskies this weekend, at least it's it, it's not going to be a fun show out of on the positive sides. Uh, obviously, Huskies get swept. Uh, 5-3 was a result there on Friday and a 6-3 result on Saturday. And it wasn't entertaining. (laughs) Um, it, it was, it, it was exhausting. It was, I don't know. I don't even know where to begin. And obviously we'll get into everything wrong with the power play here, but um, I just feel like it's in typical St. Cloud State fashion to show up for an amazing series against a top-notch team, come out and just take care of business, and then a letdown the next week. Um, you know, we've seen that uh, you know, this season, and I remember my, you know, you know, mid two thousands days going to college. We would always play to our competition and I really thought, you know, over the last few years, we uh, we'd be past that, and now it seems like this year, especially, we're back to that level, and it's frustrating. Sure is. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, and I thought that this weekend would be different. I'm shame on me. My this my intuition was way off this weekend, and yeah, I don't. <laughs> you're struggling to find an adjective about this weekend. I am too. I. Um, yeah, this is going to be a salty podcast. I, I don't have much good to say about the Huskies. I don't have much good to say about the Bulldogs. Um, this was a, yet another reminder. No, Do you ever have anything good to say about this the Bulldogs? Series, every series they play, like the first series of the season that, that St. Cloud will play Duluth, I think I've some like half forget. I effing hate these effing <laughs> Effers, Duluth, with the heat of a thousand suns, and this was another one of those. Just, oh God, I hate this team weekend. Um, and if there is any added kick in the nuts to this series, is that you potentially kickstarted them after, yeah, uh, you know, half a season plus of them sleepwalking through the through the season uh, and watching them too. I, I mean, this really doesn't seem like that different of a Duluth team from years past. I think that the, the noticeable difference is goaltending, um, but forwards and defense wise, I mean, this is basically what they're trotting out there when they're winning national titles. So uh, I, 
I would not be shocked if they use this as a springboard to getting back into relevance. Um, and that's a double whammy because St. Cloud's got their own problems that they, they got to work out here. I hope it's just a bump in the road, but you know, it's, it's, it's hard to come out of this weekend with really any positives. Uh, and so I, I'm yeah. Content warning. If you're on a low sodium diet, this podcast will probably uh, be recommended by your doctor. Um, so fair, fair warning. Consult a physician and maybe, uh, depending on what medication you take, uh, that's, what's going to be, um, uh, probably best. So let's just, uh, let's get started Friday. Um, you know, Caster obviously, uh, got the start. Um, first period, you know, everything was kind of slanted a little bit towards, uh, Minnesota Duluth's favor. Loney gets the only goal in the period down one, nothing, uh, St. Cloud ends up kind of coming back early. Um, Ingram, uh, gets the goal on just kind of a, a weird shot that kind of goes through the wickets or goes through the net or his glove of Thiessen. Um, that I felt was just kind of a kind of a easy goal to give up, um, to get the Huskies kind of back in it. Um, then two penalties back to back gets a five on three power play for St. Cloud. We capitalize, and then the wheels just fell off. Um, uh, I was talking about how Steves is there. Uh, ben Steves is Minnesota Duluth's leading scorer, uh, but he hadn't had a goal uh, since you know. December and uh he certainly woke up this weekend uh got NCHC rookie of the week uh scored the next three goals all on the power play um one was a five on three um which obviously we're going to talk about Lutke and um his weekend uh and, but I mean you know Okabe gets a slashing call Lutke gets a tripping call uh you know back to back so one good five on three deserves another. Uh, and then Steve's buries that one. Steve's buries the next one on um, a, a penalty. And then uh, Lukey takes a uh, incredibly bad checking from behind penalty that you just can't do in this day and age in college hockey. And, you know, just considering that, the the way that they were calling the game beforehand, especially in the second period, um, you know, you had some, you know, some slashing, some tripping, some cross check. Like, I didn't think these were two egregious penalties, but you knew you were they were going to be calling it tight. And then all of a sudden, Lutke comes in. You know, numbers are turned the whole time, um, and just pace the guy in the back. And then right away, it's like, what are you doing? And it was, uh, after that, it was like any hopes of a comeback, I thought was just, you know, I, I thought, you know, it was one of those, you know, please don't let this be kind of like Miami. And sure enough, it was exactly like Miami, where we just got buried from that. Yeah, the, going back to that two, when it was two to one St. Cloud, I thought a huge turning point was an inability to add on at that point. You had a couple of really good chances. You still had that, the yep. remainder of the power play, as you mentioned, five on three is when Crookshank scored to go up two to one. And then they had a 
couple of, of golden opportunities to extend it to three to one. There was one play where Kupka was crashing in the net and it looked like his skate may have blocked, you know, prevented the goal from, from a goal from scoring because, you know, he was just getting in the way an unfortunate break. Um, for St. Cloud, because I think the game is much different if it's three to one there rather than two to one. Um, and yeah, obviously just a real ill, ill-advised play by Ludke to take that penalty. It's just a uh, killer. Um, and to give one up at the end of the second, um, to then have that carry on into the third, that was the one difference between the Miami uh, five on three that or five, five minute major that killed him in that game was that those all came in the same period. This one had to, uh, had a, an intermission to, to regroup and think about your game plan coming into the third period. You had more time to think uh, about this one, uh, but it was the same result. Three goals, uh, given up total in that sort of all you can eat buffet situation. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, not to get too ahead of ourselves, but the five on three penalties this week, or excuse me, the five minute major calls this weekend, big keys for both teams. Duluth basically wins the game on Friday by scoring three on the, on the major St. Cloud on Saturday, get, getting a five minute major, not scoring uh, at all. Huge uh, turning point in that game as well. You can see how one way or the other, these five minute majors are critical turning points in games. You can either score the deciding goals in the game, um, goal or goals, or if a team kills it off, that provides a huge momentum boost as well and a sort of deflating effect for the team that doesn't score on a five-minute major. So killed by it in both ways, by giving up three uh, on Friday and then not scoring when you had that chance yourself on Saturday. So, uh, yeah, not good. Um, and, And... if we're talking about, you know, this is the worst weekend St. Cloud played this year for by far. Um, yeah, I was trying to think maybe worst weekend for them since the Western Michigan series last year in Kalamazoo. If you remember, those were two uncompetitive oh, games. Uh, yeah, and I might be missing something in there. I'm just thinking about a two game weekend uh, that they looked this bad yeah i mean you can look at the off yeah at least the offense scored three goals a night but as you mentioned with that you first could look at the goal, uh the the playoff series against minnesota duluth yeah but i i thought um, about that too but you went to overtime in one of those games i yeah they didn't play well but i i thought the western series well, they so didn't have a, a chance in those games and even in, in this like the saturday game after they got down 3 nothing, when they made it 3-2 and they had that five-minute major, I still had no confidence that they were going to win that game at all. Um, and it just, it felt, it did not have a good feeling once once you got down 3 nothing on Saturday. I was trying to keep to, to Friday here. And I'm saying, like, three goals, three goals at night, uh, you know, that doesn't sound so bad. Maybe the offense at least was there. But as you mentioned, that first Ingram goal was, was a cheapie. Uh, and I thought mm-hmm. a couple of the goals... Uh, each night were were not great goals for the Duluth goalies to give up. St. Cloud's goalies did not play well this weekend either. Really, no facet of the game uh, for the St. Cloud defense was was terrible. Goaltending was bad. You know, the offense, like I said, scored some goals, but yeah, also were kind of back to old habits as well. I mean, even with Crandall getting a couple of probably goals. 
they're sort of the same sort of the office setup, uh, and which I, I hey they they worked I guess, but the the percentage of that as we've been stressing over the last few weeks, it's just uh, uh, other than those sort of plays, it's it's not really a, a well-rounded approach uh, on the power play or just offensively in general. So, yeah, I mean, every team's bound to have a lay an egg weekend and, and maybe this one is it. And that's the only kind of weekend like this all season, but um, certainly some things to work on. And yeah, obviously the Friday game, four power play goals given up. I mean, that's, that's the difference in the, in the game right there. And very easy to chalk it up to that. And more of the same, obviously, on Saturday as well. I, I don't know if you have anything else to add for the Friday game before we move on to the Saturday. Um, I do, but I want to tie that into like a bigger talk about the penalty kill and hole because I've got a few theories about what's going on there. Uh, but we can definitely transition over to Saturday. Um, you know, I kind of want to get the game recaps where... out of the way pretty quick. I don't really want to yeah. linger, linger on these too much. Sorry for not <laughs> digging too deep here, but it's. I'm trying to limit my my self harm here, and going through these bad uh, memories is is uh, limiting that at least is is helpful for me. Yeah. Um, but you know, Saturday's game, we go uh we go down three nothing. Um, obviously two power play goals, and then we give up a shorthanded goal. Uh you know, right after that, when we thought maybe we'd be able to turn the tide, um, came out, kind of regrouped, um, and then popped in two power play goals kind of on our own there. Um, like you said, five minute major, um, uh, for the guillotine move on, um, uh, a tray, tray ball, um, that, and it, you know, wasn't much doing on that. And, um gelatinin was able to uh pop it in you know so all of a sudden we're down by two goals again all right down down by two but even in that third period and you know we get you know one of those grease pan goals um that O'Coin uh was able to get his first of his career it was it was it was just one of those that even though we were down like it felt you know, we were in it from a score standpoint, but it just felt different than the North Dakota games where you kind of felt like everything was building. And it felt like it just felt like even as we were trying to claw back and make this one competitive, it's just it just felt like it wasn't going to be our night. And I don't know if I was just kind of down because of any time that, you know, Minnesota Duluth was able to counter some momentum or, you know, just kind of, you know, put everything kind of to rest that anytime that St. Cloud had something going uh, way more than North Dakota did in that home series. But it was just, and I don't know, I just never was truly invested that we were able to come back. And maybe it's just, you know, our recent history up at Amsoil or what was it, but it was, it, it was, it was just frustrating to watch. Well, first, I mean, missing Anhorn is, and we saw the first full weekend of of his absence. Um, and and then you, on top of then that, Meyer, Meyer, 
was out Meyer on out with the flu on Friday and back on Saturday, but I thought he was still limited in action. You mentioned that five-minute power play for the Huskies on Saturday. Trayball, who took that back, you know, backhander to the neck that caused the five-minute major, saw he was doing some quarterbacking on the power play, which I, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Um, and, but I mean, with with Anhorn and Meyer, um, right, you know, Anhorn out, Meyer perhaps being limited in action because I'm sure he wasn't 100% health-wise on Saturday when it was playing. I mean, you, I you, you hardly remember hearing his name. Right. Like hardly at all. I don't so even know I if he can't had any time he on that, that many minutes on that major. Uh, I was surprised, yeah. and I noted the fact that Trable was there. And I mean, I like Trable, but I don't see him as really an offensive-minded guy. Someone who's gonna, you know, who's deft at um, cycling the puck around from the point on a power play situation. Not like, not like Solquist. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> power and, play star what that we have there. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, I mean, scoring in the office. Not in the five-minute major, um, but you, you, the office. You scored in the office. We should have the office uh, theme music there, um, uh, because when you know, Cranel, I, I think that's copyright. I, I don't know if I'd be able to get the rights to that. Do you um, know if you I, want to make a donation to the <laughs> Huskies Hockey Podcast to get the rights to the office theme song, uh, please feel free to Venmo me. Do you know it's it's performed by Jay Ferguson who. You might not know that name, but I bet you're familiar with his one-hit wonder in the 70s, Thunder Island, which Common Man obviously loves because he plays it on his show constantly. Um, weird to know that, but Google it. It's, it's a true fact. Anyway. Uh, Thunder ha- Island. Is it, wasn't that the... Yeah, you'll you'll recognize it. Um, gotcha. Uh, I thought I thought that was I thought that was the uh, Three Ninjas movie with Hulk Hogan. It could be that Didn't they go to Thunder well. Island. I think that's Thunder Dome, actually. But oh, uh, uh, Thunder Dome. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Cranola scoring basically two identical goals there uh, on the power play and. Uh, I mean, obviously, goals are nice to see, but it's that similar, that same approach. If it's going to have that that good of a percentage of success, sure. But throughout the season, it's just not had that good of success, and nothing else well, seems to I be mean, working. To be fair, to be fair, in previously we had Mietnin doing it, and Mietnin was a lot less reliable when it comes to hitting the net. Um, you know, with Cronulla on that side, he's a lot more accurate when it comes to in the net, and that definitely helps. Yeah. So I like the changes we made there. Um, but our penalty kill definitely has a lot to be desired. Yeah, what can, what can be done there? I mean, you you had mentioned a few weeks ago, you think that they're being a little too aggressive on the power or on the penalty kill and trying for more shorthanded chances and 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 opening up opportunities for the other team to score. I didn't really see that this weekend. I mean, correct, I, I saw, correct. I, and... I, I, I'm just saying, I, I say, I see a box, uh, which I'm sure the best power or penalty kill in the country uses the same sort of box setup. Uh, I, I don't know what they need to do. Um, it seems like the, the setup is fine. I don't know if the personnel is, I mean, again, you got, 
guy's hurt now. Anhorn was part of that penalty kill. I don't know if that's part of the deal. Um, he was... The other thing, too, I was looking up the stats. Through December 8th, so prior to the Miami series, penalty kill was 11th best in the country. St. Cloud's was at 84%. They were also top 10 in power play. We've been talking about their power play uh, struggles. They were top 10. They were 10th in power play, 24%. Since that date, so almost two months since then, 61.5% on the penalty kill. You're giving up your, you're giving up a, basically a 40% power play to your opponents in that time period, which has sunk you down to like 55th in the nation in penalty kill. Power play, interestingly, is actually up since then. They're at a 29 and change clip since that time. And so their, their penalty, or excuse me, their power play is top 10 in the country right now. Um, mm-hmm. But their penalty kill is terrible, but for... The bulk of the season, that was through 16 games, that December 8th date. There's been 10 games since then. So for most of the season, at the beginning, they were basically a top 10 penalty kill. And it's just in the last two months, it's been god-awful. So is it that they were just, they were doing, having a great power play or penalty kill percentage and the setup and the personnel was all perfect through December 8th and since then? everything's changed and it's just now it's all of a sudden terrible power play or penalty kill. I mean, what's, what has changed in the last Miami six weeks? To Miami broke us is uh, right. pretty much the only thing uh, that I could think of it. It how I have seen it now, I will want to credit Minnesota Duluth here is that they were able to create a lot of confusion. Um, you know, like it, on Fridays, you know, both of uh, Steve's goals, which looked exactly the same, you know, did have the defend or another uh, Minnesota Duluth player streaking towards the net, caused a lot of confusion right in front of the net. Um, and Caster just kind of willy nilly waved his blocker as it went by. Um, so I won't want to give uh, the Bulldogs credit there that they were able to kind of move around and cause some confusion, but. Everything when it comes to the penalty kill, so much of that is positioning, it's coaching, and it's communication. And right now, it's the communication that I think is is breaking down where our forwards are getting kind of, or a forward and a defenseman, or basically, we, we get suckered in too much where we're not communicating about who has the guys and who has the lanes. And what's happening is that we're getting two guys kind of suckered in a little bit too deep. Um, on, on the same guy. So they're not communicating very well. And, you know, that obviously leaves a huge advantage for the uh, team on the power play that they're able to go ahead and uh, find those seams and find those openings. And, you know, the Bulldogs were really able to do that uh, this year. Um, you know, the, the big one, you know, I saw last week was kind of the same where Spellacy kind of drifted way too close to the, to the, to the half boards and they were able to create those odd man chances uh, down low and really put the uh, power play just was able to kind of just run amok. Uh, so it's, you know, I, I wonder, you know, if, if they were just seeing the tape, you know, you brought up an interesting point about, you know, how it was, you know, essentially that one time it started kind of falling off 
the rails. And I wonder if it has something to do with our, our coaching aspect of it. I mean, if this was Nick Oliver and, you know, his, you know, if he did a lot more work with the special teams last year and now this year our assistant coaches maybe, you know, aren't able to make adjustments and the their Huskies are just getting picked apart. I don't know if that's the answer, but right now it just looks like we're not moving the box as a complete unit and we're not able to communicate very well. And that's just leading to all sorts of chances here for, for the opposing team. Yeah, it's, I mean, if it's coaching, I, I don't know why that would mean why, how that would explain two months of being a top 10 essentially penalty kill you'd think if it was a coaching thing all season this would have been an issue rather than just the last couple of months and well i think it's it comes down to just not making the adjustments you know so there's more tape out on you and then they know how to beat you and you just you're not making your adjustments to strengthen that penalty kill or or kind of do something maybe a little bit different and then now you're just getting eaten alive and you're not making any adjustments to counteract the adjustments that they made. Could be psychological too. I mean, there's a a snowball effect here. I mean, we saw the three against Miami on the same power play and basically the same thing happened with this uh, Lukey major on Friday where you give up three. It's like, and now that it's the biggest headline in Husky hockey land, uh, what the hell's up with this penalty kill? Now the yeah. unit is self-aware of that, and uh, you know, cl- cl- you know, squeezing sticks too much or being too hesitant to make a big mistake. I mean, when I said that first two months of the year when the penalty kill is doing well, that's when they were scoring the shorthanded goals too. It's been a while since we scored a shorty. I don't know if in that time since that Miami series if they've scored a shorthanded goal. So perhaps it's that they're not being aggressive enough. Uh, Rather, maybe they're being too conservative and and too static in their positioning. Um, I'm just throwing stuff up on the wall here because I've said before, I see special teams and penalty kill in particular so, somewhat of a fickle stat. It, it can depend on a lot of external intangible factors, which is not a uh, satisfactory answer for a lot of folks, I understand. But... Um, I see that this we have the personnel and the, the coaching staff that's capable of of uh, building a unit here that can be effective. Uh, it just needs to happen. Um, we'll see if they make those those adjustments. I uh, hopefully your uh, analysis there, which was very high end, top end analysis. I'll I'll say. <laughs> Hopefully that's being. That's filtered, all I do is top up. end analysis. We need to get that filtered into the uh, into the video room. Uh, get that get that info to the uh, to the guys that need to hear it um, because right. that that's better than my sort of um, scribbles on a notepad um, observations. So yeah, I guess the. Uh, the key to having a better penalty kill is to not give up goals on the penalty kill. That That's, helps. And not taking penalties, not taking stupid penalties in particular would be, would be yeah. nice. I mean, you're going to take penalties. 
Um, I, you know, I thought the uh, the first five on three for St. Cloud was somewhat of a gift. That second the yeah. second call was, you know, I, I yeah, I, I I've seen worse. But you kind of got the feeling that, well, Duluth's going to have their five on three opportunity whenever they get an opportunity to do so, and so the refs did take that opportunity, and uh, you just got to be more cognizant of that fact and just be don't make it easy on the refs at that that point and yeah for lukey to uh, i i just don't know what you're thinking at that it's just same same as the bushy hit i, I don't know what you're thinking but you know spur of the moment heat of the moment whatever the phrase is hard to put the brakes on i guess i it's really inexcusable and it cost you another game here uh twice in a month now that one of those has really cost you a game. So that you that you'd hope you can you can uh, eliminate from your game, just dumb penalties mm-hmm. like that. Um, that's easier than figuring out the best uh, approach on a penalty kill. Uh, but yeah, I guess that's well. I guess you, to to improve the penalty kill, you have to take penalties and kill those penalties off. You can't just not take penalties <laughs> because if you don't do that, then the penalty kill percentage will still be go. the same. Number, you got a, so. you got a big brain it here. We actually, that's how you get practice for the, for the tournament here is uh, just start chopping at everyone's legs and <laughs> have me, have me and take a penalty uh, for, for what? Uh, yeah. Um, it's, you know, like you said, you know, Meyer, obviously that's that's a big blow. And Horn, that's gonna be a big blow that we're not gonna have the rest of the year. So it's you know, something it, it it's gonna have to write itself and it's gonna have to write itself soon because I mean, sure enough, Miami is sitting, you know, mid in college hockey at thirty six at an eighteen percent penalty kill or uh power play percentage, but our next three opponents, um, you know, after after Miami. Who do we have? Um, it's North Dakota, correct? Yep. Um, they're le- number they're one. leading the. They're number one at a thirty-one point nine percent power play. Um, then it's Omaha, who's number four in the country, uh, with a twenty-six point six percent power play, and then again against Minnesota Duluth, uh, sitting at a twenty-six point one percent power play. So, I mean, the next four series, you've got three of the top five in the country in power play uh, that, that you're playing. And it's, <laughs> I mean, it, 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 might get, it might get ugly here uh, for the Huskies if they don't write this ship. Because, you know, looking at all of their losses in those, in those games you know, our penalty kill has been at 54% if we count up the power plays in all of the losses. Um, and that's just, you know, you, you can't give these teams, you know, multiple chances. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're getting them these chances to kind of claw back and or take advantage. And, and that's, we, we just can't let that happen. Yep. And, you know, you mentioned Miami, who they got next. Um terrible team and not a good power play, but they scored five power play goals on the Huskies in December, uh, five out of 12, which right around 40%, which is the number that, as I mentioned, that's what opponents power plays are running in the last two months uh, for St. Cloud. So uh, you can't take that 
that unit lightly either because of the past performance they've had against them. So, yeah, uh, you have a chance this weekend to right the ship just from a wins and losses perspective. You ought to take two wins here for Miami. If you don't, mm-hmm. we're, we're really coming on here uh, uh, with, with, with something to say next week. Yeah. But uh, hopefully it's an opportunity to get over this and just make it a, a small bump in the road here. Uh, probably nice that this isn't followed up by a trip to, let's say, Grand Forks or Omaha, uh, teams that are uh, playing playing well at least this last, you know, coming off decent weekends. So um, you have that, I guess. Um, sometimes that's those are the kind of breaks you get during a season schedule wise. Like you don't have, you don't compound on difficult weekends. This is an opportunity if you take advantage of it. If you take care of business this weekend you can avert a, a real losing streak here and get some confidence back, and then you got a bye week after that. So um, it's very possible that we were just talking about a small bump in the road here, and that's what I hope. But certainly do have some things to, uh, to, to work on uh, uh, in the short term. Yeah, like you said, every team will kind of go through this uh, throughout, throughout the year, um, you know, a weekend where they kind of just lay an egg. Um, and ours, of course, happens to do it against, you know, one of our main rivals and Andrew's most hated team. <laughs> so yes, that's, sir. uh, a, um, as far as this, uh, Minnesota Duluth team, uh, you know, again, you know, probably really just for Dan Jacobson, uh, kind of, what do you, what do you, what, what's your honest assessment here of this, uh, of this Bulldogs team? First of all, I want to go back to our ranking the streams podcast. I can't remember where <laughs> I put Duluth, but I'm putting them below Miami now. Um, this was an atrocious weekend from a street. This is, and they got no. It's like a student run thing. They got nothing to hide behind. These are people paid to produce a broadcast, and sheer it's incompetence. Really sheer incompetence at every turn. When. I don't, I've never been in a TV production studio. I don't know the first thing about how to do a replay. I bet if (laughs) I were to have started with no training or experience at all, started on the weekend, said you're in charge of uh, replays. I think I would have been able to figure it out by Saturday. They can't do a replay. It's, it's embarrassing. Uh, And their camera work is, it's it's as if the camera is like 600 pounds and you have two people to move it. So many times puck gets lost and off camera and then it it like overcompensates then because then like the camera will just jerk the other way. It was nauseating, actually. I mean, the the product on the ice was bad enough, but the 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 TV feed was making me sick, too. Yeah, what is it like seizure warning that they needed? Like, especially like you said on those replays where they would like rewind in real time, yeah. and, like just incredibly fast. And yeah, like you said about the pucks, or you know, just the camera following the puck, and then it would just just stop. <laughs> like, and it's like, no, continue following the play. What are you doing? And then like you said, it's just a hard jerk over back to the offensive zone. Uh, it was, yeah, it was. Miami's it, is it bad. bad. And, Mi- but Mi- just seeing... Miami, I'm just trying to think, but Miami's, like, it's just that it's, it's too far away. You don't have the problem of yeah. losing the puck. You just, you just can't see it to begin with because it's not really an HD either. But 
it doesn't really it doesn't have the herky jerky movements and losing the puck off screen um and their announcers are tolerable whereas Duluth are not um so I was not impressed with the Duluth uh TV team this weekend um but uh so I did want to revisit that this was again <laughs> the first series that I really got some in-depth uh data on that but yeah, like I said, I I don't really see a ton of difference between this team and, and in the years past, just uh, except for goaltending, um, which might be a big if or a big a big difference. But yeah, same kind of team where they're just they they got a lot of fortunate breaks. I was thinking too that you know the first half of the year it's like finally, finally maybe the rabbit's foot has fallen out of the butt crack uh, of this team. But <laughs> no, it looks like the butt cheeks picked it up again. Because there were several plays where it's just like, you know, a pass like threads through three sticks and just cleanly on the tape right to a Duluth guy for an open net. The fourth goal on Saturday where it bounces off the end boards and just kicks right to the guy on the doorstep to hand it in. It's just that kind of crap is just so old. I mean, they were getting that kind of stuff years before they, they won these natties too. It's just... I know it's sour grapes, but uh, it it absolutely is. But it's just I I cannot. They're so annoying when it's like they <laughs> they have that. Uh, and yeah, it's it, I don't. I've never been really thrilled with any of their forwards. I mean, I, they're always sort of a collection of third lines, really. Um, Steve's is a decent player because he knocked in a couple of power play goals. But as you said, it's not like he's lighting the world on fire. You know how many players in the NCHC era forwards for Duluth have scored, have averaged more than a point per game in the Ooh. NCHC era? In the NCHC era. I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to see if I could name them. I don't know if I could name them. Did you have a, uh, a guess on the number of times that that's happened? I would guess, I would guess six. Two. Two? Uh, Ayafalo, uh, who I had follow, a 50-point season in 2016-2017. That's the last time they had a forward average more than a point per game. And then Tony Cameronisi the year before. Uh, it's the only two times that they've had a forward. Oh, wow, Cameronisi. And then Perunovic had a, a year like that, uh, more than a point per game in his Hobie year. Um, so one from the defense and Sweeney did one exactly a point per game in the uh, COVID shortened 2021 season um, at 29 points in 29 games. Um, but that just gives you an idea that this team has never really, I mean, since, since this conference has started, has never really been an offensive, uh, a competent offensive team uh, really at all. Uh, and I, that streak seems to be, uh, on its way to be extended this year. I mean, if Steve's picks it up, he might be able to average. And averaging more than a point per game, it's not like we're talking that gets you into Hobie competition. That's essentially like Fitzgerald's year last year. Like, you have a good year, it's not a great year, but it's a good year, good solid year. Their forwards generally don't really even have solid years. I mean, even guys like Cates, who are in the NHL, like he he didn't have a point per game year, obviously, because he's what not one of the two guys that I mentioned uh, and so I just bring that up to say it's just that this is the same old Duluth that, they, that they've always had. Unimpressive, but yet just they they get results that far exceed the talent that they have. 
and I don't think it's really earned, and I don't know what they did to get that, but that's what I have to deal with. Yeah. Uh, and you know. I hate it. Um, <laughs> I, I can't stand it. I will take eight more North Dakota titles um, before I see it, <laughs> before I want to see another Duluth title. Oh, man. Uh, I don't know if I could do that. No, I, that sounds painful. No, I, I can't was, do it. I, I was going to also just kind of make a reference, like, you know, Cameron EC. So I was kind of looking up Danny Cameron EC, who was uh, a standout for the uh, Golden Gophers. And just kind of looking to see, I was like, she had to have had, you know, point per game seasons. Um, and obviously she has had two um, seasons where uh, she averaged over a point per game. But that felt low. Did she have three? Nope, just two. Oh, she was injured. Yes, three. And then the other one was only 36 points in 41 games. But, um, you know, so I was I was just going to kind of make a, uh, a reference there to 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 Danny, who obviously had a heck of a career um, in, in the women's league and, um, and NWHL and uh, international play and whatnot. I did not know she married Michael Brodzinski. Really? So, yeah. So that's uh, kind of an interesting little uh, note. Uh, the two, the two gophers were, were able to find love on the ice rink. Very right. sweet. Yes. So, um, you know, before, you know, I, I, I gotta say this, you know, for, for the, for the bit and, 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 and <laughs> a little bit nervous to ask, but, uh, do you, do you have a go Huskies woo player of the weekend? I'd, I'd rather say none of the above. <laughs> um, I mean, I have one. If you put a gun to my head, I'll, I'll say Ingram because I kind of, I just want him to, I like the fact that he scored two goals on Friday and, I like that he, you know, is is getting more involved here in the action. Um, I don't really think it was really he was really deserving of a player of the weekend. But if you want me to to go the coward's route, I'll say Ingram. <laughs> if you want to go my honest route, I'll say uh, nobody. Nobody. Yeah, and I have been very vocal about in the past saying, "Oh, you got to have somebody." Like somebody, you know, boo this man for not having somebody be a player of the weekend. I had to scratch. <laughs> so I almost uh, as well, you know, calling myself out here. Uh, but I do agree that it would go to Ingram and so did go Huskies Woo. Um, you know, just able to, to score a couple. Um, and and as go Huskies Woo said, didn't incite rage in me on Saturday. So I guess that's kind of the bar for this weekend was, well, he didn't really tick me off <laughs> as much as uh, some of the other players did. Um, but, I mean, this defense that we've been praising all year, um, you know, kind of really let everything, um, like you said, with, uh, you know, Bushy taking that bad penalty um, and then Ludke here this weekend taking the bad penalty. Uh, it's, you know, playing we can't keep playing like this in the most important time of the season. You know, we got to be smarter than that. And so, uh, you know, let's go ahead and shift gears then, uh, you know, preview a little bit about the Miami series who is coming off, uh, 
just a thorough beatdown um, that they took on the hands of North Dakota. And it's, like you said, this is, I mean, I don't want to say it's a, it's a must win or anything along those lines, but you, you got to get back on track. And this is the team to get back tra- on track against, you know, for, for St. Cloud, you're not saying this is a must win. I'll, I'll say it. This is a <laughs> must sweep weekend. Really? I, uh, I, I don't you're, know about that. You're going to be fine with a split, a home split against Miami. I'm not good. I'm not going to be fine with it. No, I'm still going to be ticked off. Um, but uh, like when I say must win, it's like must win or the season's over. Like even in a metaphorical sense, yeah. like we're not playing well, the season's going to be over. Like I don't feel even that's the issue. But I mean, this team hasn't won it since Niagara um, in in December on the thirtieth. So they've gone oh for January here. So it's I, I, it, it I is some, a big weekend. I did some rabbit holing. Uh, Miami was winless this January. They are o nineteen and two in their last twenty one January games. They oh, have huh. not. They have not won a January game since the twenty twenty one. So the first it would have been the first games after the Omaha Pod. Uh, they swept a series wow. at Western Michigan. Since then, they have not won a game in January. Going back to twenty eighteen, which is the second to last year of Rico Blasi's tenure in January. Three thirty-five and five, Jeez. is Miami's record in the month of January. February's better under Bergeron. I think something like eight. I don't six, think it could be 16. worse. <laughs> their second, their after Christmas records, basically going back the entire run of the of the conference, have been atrocious. Uh, train wreck second halves for the Red Hawks and especially of late and St. Cloud has been dominant against Miami, especially at home, uh, currently 11 game home winning streak for the Huskies against the Red Hawks. The last win for Miami in St. Cloud was that 2018 season when they won the won the second game of their playoff series. And of course, they uh, they won the playoff series the first year of the NCHC, swept St. Cloud um, in two games in 2014. So they won three games at the Herb in the playoffs. Do you know how many games Miami has won in the regular season at the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center? One. Oh, and it was the very first one. <laughs> October, or excuse me, November of 2013. They won a two nothing game. Since then, in the regular season, no ties, I believe either. It's been all losses. Um, so St. Cloud has really owned this series. Obviously, last year, probably the uh, the oh yeah the capstone what, of nineteen that, to one nineteen to one combined score weekend. And which, looking back last year, those were really the outliers. I mean, again, no wins in in January, but. They weren't getting trounced every weekend. Well, this January, here are the scores. 7 nothing, yeah. 7 nothing, 4-1, 2 nothing, 4-1, 8 nothing. So that's what? 12, 26, 32-2 they've been outscored in the year 2023. 
uh, you can't drop a game to Miami at home, uh, I don't think. And this is a team that is not playing well, and they're not good to begin with. You shouldn't have lost the game to them in Miami, so uh, you need to make up for that. Um, but uh, I don't think there's really any excuses to, to drop a game this weekend. We'll see. I mean, it's, um, like I said, you got a, a bye after that. So we'll be able to tell if this team is being able to make some adjustments against a team that you should that you should beat. Um, so, yeah, if, if we're seeing more of the same here that we saw in Duluth, um, that might be time to hit the panic button. At this point, I'm, I'm fine with just calling Duluth a, a, a slight speed bump. But if that becomes a trend, then it's worrisome. So, no. you know, wh- who is this team? Is this I, I, the team that played in Duluth, or is this the team that swept Denver the week before? Kind of a schizophrenic I, I, team I'm right inching, now. I'm inching closer and closer to your side now <laughs> after, after you brought up how, how bad that they have, have been uh, so far in 2023. Um you know, judging by the stats too, their penalty kill is worse than ours. Um, obviously not as of as of late, but you know, overall they're at seventy four point four percent of the power on the penalty kill, where we're at seventy six percent. So I mean, we still have a chance to get, you know, or I, 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 you know, this is the team. You know, we do have to right the ship here. Um, I, I'm still not going to call it like the. Everything is going to go all to hell in handbasket if we don't sweep. But it is definitely, you know, if we're going to stay in Penrose conversation, well, yeah, um, that you might have lost it this that, weekend with with the we might sweep. we might we might have lost it. But and also right now we're sitting behind Omaha, right? Um, in, in the standings now, Omaha is off this weekend. Uh, but um, you know, they're the. You know, on our bye, they play Colorado College. So they've got kind of a heavy tilt there who, you know, Colorado College now all of a sudden sitting down at seven. And, you know, we've been praising that they're a pretty decent team. So, but, you know, just keep your head down, take care of business, you know, get back on the right track, get rested up for the bye. And then we got a gauntlet here for the last three series. Um, It's going to be, it's going to be a fight. And especially, you know, I'm looking at that Omaha series you know when it comes to positioning for for the playoffs because i mean looking down to six you know minnesota duluth north dakota you know these, these i don't want to play these guys uh, on the are at home um and that's assuming if things don't fall off the rails here then we're traveling somewhere so it's you know it's very imperative here that we, we get back into these top two spots um because I would much rather play Colorado College than a hungry North Dakota or Minnesota Duluth team. Yes, let's um, yeah, let's talk about that Penrose uh, situation for for a second. So eight games remaining for the Huskies, nine games remaining for Denver because they're they're doing the split series with CC. So they're just playing one game this coming weekend. Just played the one Ball Arena game this last weekend. I, I mean, realistically, for the Huskies. I'm thinking you you win all your home games, so sweeping Miami and sweeping Duluth, and then splitting the road games, splitting at North Dakota, splitting at Omaha, gets you six and two record. I think that's realistic. If you go six yeah. and two, 
And and you have the tiebreaker over Denver. So if you're tied with Denver at the end of the year, you will win the tiebreaker. So if you go six and two, that means Denver's got to go five and four the rest of the way. I mean, with Denver's schedule, three more games against, as you said, now seventh place CC, um, going to Western Michigan and then home series against uh, North Dakota and Minnesota Duluth. I mean, those two series, I suppose, look a little tougher now that that those teams seem to have uh, righted themselves a little bit this last weekend. But I would think that Denver's at least going to go five and four in in that mark um, and maybe even better. I mean, so... So I'm saying, and six and two—that's, I mean, that—that's assuming a sweep of of Duluth and and road splits at Dakota and Omaha, which are places that are tough for St. Cloud to play in historically, uh, at least the last in recent history. So that's six six and two is no shoe in. So I'm just saying that 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 you really sort of you, you coughed up these two games here, giving giving away that sort of tiebreaker edge you had with Denver, it's going to be a lot harder. You, you're really going to need to play very well. You're going to need to play 750 hockey for the rest of the regular season and get help by Denver, you know, stumbling, losing at least four times. Could happen, but uh, it's, I think, kind of a long shot at this point. So, And I'll keep in mind, too, um, you sweep Miami this weekend. They will be back in first place. As you mentioned, Omaha's off this weekend, and, Duluth, and Denver just has the one game against CC. Those two, game, those two teams will have two games in hand, which they'll play the next weekend. But if you'd like to look at the standings and see St. Cloud in first place, eh, decent chance that that uh, is the case this time next week. Um, so there are still definitely fluctuations possible here and, and still some time left, but... The, the task of getting the Penrose is is that much harder because of... I, I really think you just would have split this series. Uh, I think you would have been fine. They were still two in pairwise after the Friday loss. And mm-hmm. I think that if they would have won on Saturday, they would have retained that number two position. So a split would have been just fine. It would have been just fine in the, in the pairwise. And uh, in the Penrose situation, I mean, it hurts you. Obviously, every loss does, but... I think you still would have, you know, you would have had a, a clunker to give the rest of the way, let's say. So, yeah, the sweep really hurts you, and or at least getting zero points really hurts you. And so, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be tough. And you're mentioning that Omaha series going to be a key one. Uh, I will be in attendance uh, in oh. Omaha. I'm going to be checking out Baxter for the first time. So... It was, uh, I was thinking about maybe doing a St. Cloud trip, um, but I'm going to do uh, Omaha instead. Probably we'll do St. Cloud uh, next fall, uh, circling whenever they have that Michigan series. Probably be the next time I'm, I'm in the cloud. But looking forward to uh, to checking out Baxter, scratching off another arena uh, off the list. Yeah, I was gonna I was going to ask, is that your first time going to be at Baxter? Yeah, first time at Baxter. I, I went to CenturyLink three times two or three times three times i think yeah, a couple times and uh but not not to baxter so it, it's it's been a while uh, since i've been in omaha uh, but uh looking forward to it and i'll and i'll definitely have a uh, an extended uh baxter review uh upon arrival from them from from omaha uh so yeah i'm looking forward to that 
And looking forward to this weekend, hopefully seeing the Huskies get back on track uh, against uh, Miami. The the good news is if the Penrose does become out of reach, um, that means Denver is going to take care of business against, you know, probably take care of business against, you know, the remaining three games that they have against Colorado College, which would keep them down towards the bottom of the standings. Um, where again, I feel more comfortable if St. Cloud State is able to nab the two seed going up against Colorado College than the North Dakota team, especially with the way our penalty kill and their power play is. Um, so it's that's it's gonna that's gonna be kind of a key thing to watch here as we go uh, to the remaining part here of the season. So um, as far as everything else. Uh, you know, over the weekend, anything else kind of catch your eye, Western Michigan and Omaha. That was kind of an interesting series where, you know, Western Michigan boat raced Omaha there in the first game. Omaha was able to come back, bounce back uh, with a uh, two nothing win there. Shut out on Saturday, North Dakota, like we talked about trounced Miami. Um, but anything else non-conference kind of catch your fancy. Well, I did want to mention the Denver CC game at ball arena. Uh, watched well, bits and pieces of it. Um, near 18,000 in attendance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I saw it on TV, I'm like, boy, I was surprised at how, how, how packed it was. And then even like the, at the very end, cause I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's just the first level is full, kind of making it look good for, for TV. But they had like a shot at the end of the game that you could see the upper deck was pretty full too. And so, that's good to see. Surprising. Yeah. But, and I'm wondering if Denver is going to kind of make this a regular thing, like take one of their home. I mean, if they would have played that game at Magnus, what does Magnus hold? Six, 7,000 somewhere in that range. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere in that range. Yeah. I don't know if this, if there was an arrangement to, to share some of the revenue with CC in this, I don't know if they were like co-hosts or if this was just all Denver, production and they uh keeping all the revenue if, if that's the case i wouldn't be surprised if they do this for one of their cc games every year um yeah we were seeing good crowds at like mariucci as well i'm wondering too if there was mm-hmm. a bit of i mean it's, it's nice to see attendance like this I'll, I'll say that yes yeah but i'm wondering if if uh if if it's sustainable or if i i have a hunch that this is like a post covid kind of bump like people haven't gone to a game in a long time and or at least a game in a in a stadium as big as Ball Arena, for instance, uh, if, if that has anything to do with it or if I, I'd like to see Denver do this every year, because if it's going to be the same attendance every year or if it's going to wean back yeah. to to what we've come to know as normal in the post Big Ten era. Interesting. I just want I want I want the. I want it to continue just because I'm curious on whether or not this is just a, a temporary bump back up, but uh, good to see that. And I, and I also wanted to to throw it out there. You know who, you know, Denver winning the game two nothing. You know who probably doesn't think Magnus Krohn is an average goalie? Chris Mayotte, the CC coach, <laughs> who since he took over last year has played Denver five times and Magnus Krohn has five shutouts against cc zero wow. zero really? goals given up 
uh, in Chris Mayotte's uh, oh, run there. That's that's impressively bad. <laughs> or impressively good, if you want to take it the pro-Krona position. So No, I'm never pro-Krona. <laughs> see if he can that's... extend uh, the uh, shutout streak this weekend. It'll be at CC on, I think they're playing on Saturday. Again, just the single game this weekend. Um, and... Yeah, so I wanted to throw that out there as well. Um, yeah, what do we got for sinkers and floaters uh, for non-conference here? You know, uh, we, we sinkers saw that, and floaters. Uh, saw Notre, um, Notre Dame sweeping, so they're they're above five hundred now. Um, yeah, that's a bummer. Um, but and, there's still there's still they time. Did, uh, the, they moved up one spot. Obviously, the big jump up. I mean. Again, it's a split, so I was a little surprised to see them move up as much, but Omaha jumps four spots. Um, they get to 15 right now, and what was really surprising to me is now here, whereas if we count 15 as the cut line um, with the Atlantic Hockey yep. or the Atlantic Hockey Auto bid, you know, we're looking at four teams now in the NCHC. So for all this talk about it being a down year for the NCHC, we're still looking at four teams at this moment. Um, obviously, a really big asterisk, especially now that Hockey East only has one right? with uh, with BU sitting at three. Um, and, you know, kind of surprising to me that BU at least isn't getting a ton of love, I think, in the Uscho poll. Um uh, I, I feel like I don't know what more BU has to do, especially as of late. Um, now, obviously, are you going to bump off Minnesota? I don't think so. I think Minnesota's got a, a sizable lead there. But, um, you, you know, still, I think I would, I would put BU over Quinnipiac at least. So, but that's just my thoughts. No, uh, but there was a lot of change at the top of the pairwise with, you know, Minnesota, obviously, they're staying the same. Quinnipiac up two, BU up three, Michigan up four spots. St. Cloud dropped three, Penn State dropped three, Denver somehow dropped two, even after a one <laughs> one win against CC. So, but Omaha, the big, uh, the big, uh, the big floater uh, there, jumping into the to some really heavy contention. Um, Minnesota State is inching its way kind of back you know, for the CCHA. Um, they were only up one spot, but, you know, just, uh, you know, kind of seeing them were right on the fringe of the cut line. And uh, the big, big drop out of the contention is kind of seeing Michigan State's freefall uh, as Michigan State is, you know, I reluctantly picked them that they were going to make the tournament, but I did say, their schedule is is a gauntlet, and I don't, you know, it, it. I didn't think they'd be able to fall as much as they have been. Um, we're looking, you know, just at around Christmas time here. They were sitting at eighth in the pairwise, and now they're dropped down to eighteenth. Yeah, so five Big Ten, four NCHC, two CCHA teams, which we would both be surprised if that's how it ends up. Um. Right now, 11 Western teams versus five. And we're only giving the Atlantic auto bid uh, the benefit there. Um, currently, just three Eastern teams in the top 15, which continues the trend here for the last few years. But it's just notable that at the beginning of the year, you know, through 
Thanksgiving, let's say, we were looking at this may be a bounce back year for Hockey East. I think they had yeah. six or seven teams. You showed me the graph. Six or seven teams in the top 15, like early December. Now just one with Boston University. Obviously, you got a bunch of teams right there on the bubble, outside the bubble. Uh, UConn, Northeastern, Miramac, Lowell, Providence, BC a little bit further than that. Uh, they're all within striking distance, but things really need to pick up for Hockey East to get get multiple teams in, which is and and to see ECAC having three teams in solidly decent shape. Quinnipiac obviously is gonna make the tournament. Harvard and Cornell look pretty decent to make it as well. Um, so as long as they don't drop games to the Dartmouths of the world, um, ECAC looks to be getting more teams in than Hockey East, which I don't, I mean, it had to be probably in that Union-Yale era that that's happened uh, out East. So uh, very interesting how the narrative has shifted, shifted and how kind of suddenly it's shifted over those last months to six weeks. Um, very, very interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've always kind of saw that as the power in college hockey is kind of cyclical where it kind of swings back and forth from West to East. Um, you know, you go to the mid two thousands, it was definitely in the, in the West, you go to later two thousands in BC's run, it was a little bit more towards the East. And then now, or, you know, really since the NCHC started here, um, you know, the power has come kind of come back here towards the West. And I thought this was going to be kind of the start of maybe the pendulum kind of swinging back over to the East. But the way the East has collapsed here this season, not the case. Like you said, what you said, 11 teams um, right now that are in, in, in shape to, uh, to make the tournament here at this moment is is in is you know quote unquote in the West um, I, I would say so um, you know looking at uh, hockey East you know the fall of a lot of their teams I mean Miramac was around Christmas was at number three <laughs> and you know now they're sitting at twenty one I mean it was just a monumental collapse for them. Um, one graph that I find really interesting, actually, um, out of Hockey East is Northeastern. Yeah. Um, where 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 they drop down? I mean, in January they were at forty four right. in the pairwise. Um, in in January, there, in, in twenty twenty three, they were at forty. In this calendar year, they were at forty four. Yep. Wow. And up to nineteen. January second, uh, they were down at forty four. And then right now they're up back up to 19. So, and I think they're still leading hockey East in the standings, um, you know, and great goalie, obviously the, the reigning uh, Richter winner with Levi, if they're able to get in the tournament, that's not a team that you really want to play uh, with a, with a good goalie. Who's assuming if they do make the tournament, he's going to be on a good run. I bet if they make the tournament, it's because they're going to win some two to one, one nothing games here down the stretch. Uh, not, and so they'd be kind of playing hot and with a hot goalie, not a great recipe for a first round opponent in my, in my opinion. So yeah, definitely keep an eye on them. If they, if they win or if they do get a bid here, yeah, that, that pairwise uh, uh, trajectory over the year is going to be like a EKG chart up (laughs) and down because they had a really good start to the year. Um, that's kind of how they were able to build the first place lead in Hockey East 
but then had like a month or six weeks where they, you know, they were losing to Bentley. They had a, a number of, of bad losses uh, and, but on the back, on the upswing again. So uh, sacred, sacred heart. They lost yeah. to. Yeah. And, and but it seems like they're like the, really the only of uh, them in Boston university, the only teams in hockey East that are really on the upswing. All these, all those that you mentioned, Miramac has been playing terribly for two months. Lowell, you know, shot themselves in the foot with by the anchorage sweep been playing better since then, but still in a tough position at 23, their province has been playing terribly over the last month. BC is kind of dropped off, you know, losing 10 spots or so in, in pairwise in over the last couple of weeks, UMass, as we chronicled, uh, just in free, free fall mode over the last month or two. So it's like these, uh, like it's, a lot of times it's one team will rise where maybe one will fall, but it seems like four or five teams have all just done face plants here, like at the same time, which is unusual. So unusual, especially in conference play when you're getting yeah. to conference play. It's, yeah. A lot of that is because they've been teams like Maine and Vermont and New Hampshire have been pesky, uh, tough outs and, and, making life miserable for these bubble teams. So yeah, it's uh, this, this year for hockey East, you could write a novel about it and uh, be pretty uh, dramatic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when, when you're looking at like, like hockey East um, is especially, I would say, I mean, that's a key one where, you know, where you're looking at that cut line, that's going to be, that might be a conference if you, Maybe if you don't feel like uh, Boston University, if they could stumble in the tournament, you know that an, another auto bid could go to another team that can move it up to fourteen. Um, we could probably, you know, we might uh, also, um, you know, see that maybe in CCHA or ECAC, or maybe even the NCHC. I mean, that could definitely happen if Minnesota Duluth doesn't jump up, where you know they slink their way into a. A tournament, you know, that's gonna cause a lot of headaches for you know people around that cup line, that uh, that cut line for Omaha or whatnot. You know, where you know that can move that cut line up to fourteen, maybe even thirteen or twelve. You know, it's um, you know who knows what's gonna happen in these in these um, conference tournaments or the cut lines at sixteen because RAT uh, winning on Friday they were fifteen after the Friday game. But then lost, I believe, in overtime uh, on Saturday. So they're at 17, which I believe is where they were last week. But briefly, they were in the top 15. We always put the cut line at 15, which is always assuming that there is not an Atlantic hockey team in that top 16. There briefly was, and and they're right there at 17, obviously just outside the uh, the bubble. So if they are not just the auto bid, if RIT gets into 14 15 range let's say then that's an added wrinkle that we don't often see either so yeah this is uh, gonna be a very fun uh last month and a half until selection day roughly mid-march so yeah keep an eye on a lot of these a lot of the names that we've mentioned a lot of the teams on on the bubble here and and the floaters that we've mentioned they're more in tenuous position these are the teams to keep an eye on uh as we uh as we head down the stretch here uh switching over uh to questions 
uh, now a lot of these questions here uh, we have answered during our penalty kill because as you could probably imagine a lot of penalty kill questions um, you know Chris Becker asks um, you know how the hell do you come out flat against a rival twice um, and can our possible penalty kill possibly fix if if not is this the right staff um i think it is the right staff um but we need to make adjustments i think it's just making the 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 right adjustments or any adjustments there on the penalty kill um i think that's kind of kind of the main thing you know what this weekend made me reevaluate um my life choices no uh <laughs> It made me. Uh, that, it, this weekend did that. <laughs> I am uh, looking back at that Gopher series. That that Gopher series is just a weird one to me now. I mean, we we saw the Gophers this weekend pour on what fourteen goals on Michigan State. Obviously, we talked Michigan mm-hmm. State kind of in free fall, but the Gophers look to be a, a supercharged sports car right now. And was that just like you know? Their their four guys, the World Juniors, weren't at a hundred percent. Plus, you had the rest of the team for both teams uh, hadn't played a real game in a month. Was that just a weird time to play them? And do we take a lot out of that series? Because I can't imagine if they were to play this weekend, for instance, that we'd get two to one and basically one nothing games like we saw there. It, it just, it seems weird to, that was just what, four weeks ago, but it seems like a lifetime ago because of, sure. And, and is that too, like, or am I, am I meant to, am I meant to, or should I believe, or should I take away from that series? The fact that the defensive first structure that St. Cloud showed that weekend, that is what can be the recipe for them going down the stretch. Cause I don't know how you shut down that team with those players that Minnesota has. And then you give up 11 goals to the offensively challenged Bulldogs. I, I, that Those two results don't quite jibe with me. Um, well, I think, obviously, having two of your best defensemen healthy for that series helps. That's true. Um, now, having, you know, I do think a little bit is, yes, it was the right time to play them. Um, but also, I think it's also a case of just able to get up for a series. I think when we play, um, you know, we, when we play to the level of our competition and I think this is just us, you know, playing up to Minnesota's level and then playing down to how we're playing up against Minnesota Duluth. I mean, the, the fact that at nothing about the whole season, would have predicted this result here over the weekend for Minnesota Duluth. I I don't I don't think I don't see it at least. So I think it's just kind of like an anomaly, and I I don't I don't know it. I don't know well, what the answer is there. To to refer to what the questioner said, how do you not get up for this Duluth game? They're your your conference in state rival. You see him four times plus per year. I mean, it's been more than that because you're playing him in the playoffs a lot recently. Uh, with Larson's Duluth ties, he has 99 wins as a head coach. So if he would have won one of those games, he would have gotten 100 career wins in his hometown against his alma mater. 
how does he not get extra jacked for that uh, weekend? And how does the team not get extra motivated for that? I kind of on the questioner side on this one, I'm not saying that Larson and the coaching staff is, is an issue here. I'm, I'm pro Larson, but this effort was, I, I don't, again, I could see it from like the Colorado college series harder to get for the Tigers than it is for the Gophers coming off that weekend. But for this one, I, I assume that a, a Duluth hatred is thriving in that locker room. It should be based on the amount of big games that, that players in that current locker room have played against Duluth in it just in the last year or two. Um, so I don't think there's really any excuse to come out as flat as you did. So, um, that that is troubling because again I I don't I don't know how you don't get up for Duluth, so uh, yeah troubling. Yeah, and it just how did the mix of that penalty kill? I don't know. It's at a loss, you know, just a loss for answers at, at yeah. this point. And yeah. Um. Well, speed of Dan Jacobson asked if uh, Minnesota Duluth can play St. Cloud every weekend. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> next, next question. Next question. So they got uh, uh, this weekend here, they got Western Michigan. So um, that'll be that'll be an interesting series. Um, next question. Uh, <laughs> Eric's asks, uh, can I can my baby come faster so I can take a week off from this team? Um, and my answer to that is that's cute that you think it would only be a week off for the baby because <laughs> having a baby is, or, you know, raising a child is, it, there's a lot to it. So <laughs> you'll, you'll take more than a week off from this team, which, you know, may be for the best. <laughs> so, um, uh, Tin Man, uh, having your top two defenders out and a third taking a boneheaded penalties cause for screaming the sky is falling, or do we reset and forget about the bad weekend? Um, a little bit of both. Um, maybe not sky is falling because I still think Huskies are in incredibly good shape and we're going to have bumps along the way. And I've seen teams that are worse than us win the natty. So I'm I'm still holding out uh, hope for that, but you know we do have to reset, you know, get back on track. But we got issues here that we need resolved and we need answers for. And I and I really hope we get these answers this weekend. Even if it comes with an asterisk of it's Miami, <laughs> I, I'll take it. Yeah. No, agreed. Agreed with that. Um, in response to the Ann Horn injury news uh, and this awful weekend, is it appropriate to stop believing in a higher power? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, stop uh, probably for the best. <laughs> um, but in, you know, I think, you know, him being Ann Horn being injured, I think actually should strengthen his Hobie Baker case. <laughs> if everything keeps going uh, as far down as it is, it's like, yeah, sure. He didn't play the last half of the year, but look how good he was with the team, uh, you know, versus how the good the team is without him, <laughs> you know? So I think that's, uh, I, th- I think you could make a stronger case for a Hobie Baker appearance. Uh, You're saying uh, this year, him. this year. Yeah. 
I mean, well, yeah, yes, he, that's he's Tom not winning Chief. the Hobie. Yeah, I, I'm saying well, maybe yeah. it, it might help him next year because then that would be a narrative. You know, kind of uh, like I, Le, I mean, that's Le, why Le, Drew, like blah blah. That's, that's why Drew won. Getting hurt, so that's right. you need a narrative. A compelling narrative is always a uh, key to winning the Hobie. Uh, last question here. Um, oh no, I've got a couple more. Um, uh, goals for expected, uh, St. Cloud way overachieving this season. Um, that's got to come down. They're about to come down at some point as well. Goaltending has been overachieving as well. And that's come back down to earth. Uh, doesn't matter when you're great five on five and your PK is this horrible. Um, and, uh, you know, St. Cloud State has Corsi 4 of 50.6, which is, you know, half, uh, you know, in kind of in the middle of college hockey. Uh, but goals for is uh, 65.4. So basically our shooting percentage is incredibly high considering our, um, uh, considering how many shots that, you know, we're giving versus taking up. Um we're outscoring at a you know a lot higher rate than we're out shooting opponents, um, so that's that's kind of an interesting advanced stats kind of way to look at it, and you know basically, you know regressing to the mean uh, is kind of maybe in the cards as some people would think, or some people would think that you know kind of regressing to the mean is bound to happen. We're sh- sooner shooting percentage is going to dry up and we're not going to score as many goals and everything's going to kind of come back down to earth. Um, you know, I'm not an advanced stats whiz. I do think they have their place. I take it with a little bit of a grain of salt when it comes to college stats, just because, I mean, not only is college stats in general in the building, I think incredibly random, uh, but also getting those stats from the building, as we learned from CHN, um incredibly tough uh that you know to find accurate stats is incredibly hard as well so there might be a little bit of truth to that yeah also i think i mean so Corsi will um compute shot attempts uh and it, it gives you a you're looking at like even strength shot attempts if you want to try to get into some hockey analytics that's a good place to start. Even strength shot attempts will give you a general indication as to who is the better five on five possession team. Um, and generally, I mean, not, obviously not always, uh, this is hockey, which it's a low scoring sport, uh, which means there there's probably in hockey more than a lot of other sports, a team that is outplayed I'm using scare quotes there outplayed based on what the metrics and the analytics tell you uh, will win more games than is expected in other sports, I would say. Um, And when Mm. you're, when you're talking with shot attempts uh, and then trying to extrapolate shooting percentage and compare those two numbers uh, college, it's different than I, I think the analytics are a little bit better to analyze in the NHL because Schedule differences in college are so uh, extreme. It depends on the competition you're playing uh, a lot of times. Um, Looking at the Corsi advantage uh, in college right now, the top two teams 
in terms of they outshoot their opponents and they have a high uh, shooting percentage. Minnesota State and Quinnipiac, two teams that play in leagues that are, let's say, bottom heavy. Um, so Quinnipiac is a good example of that. They're playing a lot of games against teams like Dartmouth and Brown and Yale. Uh, Long Island, they played a couple of times in non-conference. These are games that it's natural that they're going to have a more than two to one shot advantage. And they're most likely going to win those games as well. Whereas St. Cloud's going to be, you know, I'm looking at, at CHN. They've ranked as the sixth toughest schedule in the country this year. Playing against a, a, a much tighter uh, schedule, um, you're not going to face the types of opponents that you're going to easily outshoot by a two to one margin. And so comparing St. Cloud's Corsi to Quinnipiac's Corsi, it's tough. It's very much apples and oranges because I can't, I can't look at those numbers and say St. Cloud wouldn't have a Quinnipiac like number if they were playing yeah. Quinnipiac schedule and vice versa. So whereas the NHL, yeah, there's an imbalance based on what division you play in, but generally you're playing the same kinds of same or roughly the similar schedule to everybody else. So using those numbers to compare other teams, I think is easier to do or is more meaningful, let's say in the NHL versus college, which is so much more context dependent based on who you play. So, but the, I mean, to give the, uh, the best possible argument for our questioner here, the implication here is that St. Cloud has a high shooting percentage relative to the amount of possession advantage they have during the game. And yeah, that, that will tend to flatten out as the season goes on. And maybe we're seeing the other shoe drop. Uh, maybe we, maybe we just saw it this weekend and that's it. Uh, St. Cloud will pick it up and, and forget about this weekend and, and go on their merry way and uh, be raising a trophy in Tampa. Uh, but, um, and looking at shooting percentage teams, like high shooting percentage teams, stop me until we don't see a tournament, a current tournament team, Western Michigan, North Dakota. Well, there's one. Uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, <laughs> Quinnipiac, RIT right on the fringes, Michigan, BU, Bowling Green. That's kind of an odd one. Lindenwood at 11. That's an odd one. So there are some outliers here, but, you know, Harvard, Denver, Cornell. Uh, in this top 15, I'm looking at, generally are pretty good teams. So mm -hmm. that, you know, high shooting percentage might also correlate to good team. So there is that too, but uh, yeah, it's the stats are stats are fun, um, but they can also be deceiving at times too. So you just got to remember the context and, and uh, try to analyze the, the relative importance of certain numbers rather than others. So I like the question. I, I like digging into these, these kind of stuff. I'm not like, like you said, I'm pretty new at hockey analytics. So uh, if you have anything else to add, I mean, I'm saying our questioner. Yeah. I, please. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm saying the questioner, if he wants to jump back in next week to oh. give me his uh, or her uh, thesis on, um, Corsi and Fenwick and all the fancy stats, please uh, email me, huskieshockeypodcast.gmail.com. Yeah, it's 
I do find those two stats just kind of interesting because I do feel that they don't like it's kind of a correlation is not causation type thing. Um, whereas like I don't know if their Corsi and their shooting percentage is that much relation to each other. They're just two separate stats. So and you know, shots on goal itself uh is can and especially be a, var- a variable and at times deceiving stat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we, especially when you're putting in shots miss the net and shots that are blocked, you know, the, I mean, Corsi is all attempted shots in general, anything that's right. somewhat directed to the net. And when you're talking about, you know, subjectivity and shots alone, much less anything yeah, else. I was watching that, um, a Penn state game from last week when they were playing, uh, Notre Dame and, you know, for years, I mean, going back basically their entire Big Ten run now for, for Penn State, <laughs> uh, it's always been sort of, God, this team just 40 shots a game, just throwing the kitchen sink. And I think you've even mentioned that it seems like it's the home games in particular it's the home, that, Penn, yeah. that Penn State has these elevated shot totals. So I, at, at one point I was kind of keying in on that. I'm just because they have on the scoreboard or the little top left corner where they have the score they also have the shot total and that tallies as the game progresses and there was a couple of times in the game where it would be a shot that's clearly wide but the goalie would glove it but it wasn't going to be a shot and that is not a shot on goal the shot on goal Mm -hmm. essentially means if the goalie's not there it would go in the net so a shot that's not on it would not it would be it would miss the net but the goalie gloves it catches it should not be a shot on goal, but they were counting that as a shot. So I'm wondering if that's, and again, that's just the, the cor- top corner of the screen, but I was looking at the CHN app, and it was counting the same number that whoever was tallying the, uh, the total on the Big Ten stream. So I'm wondering if that's part of the issue, is that they're counting a lot of missed shots that the goalie gloves or covers, if they're counting those as shots on goal. Um, so there's, and I'm sure that's happened in other rinks. It's not just a Penn state problem, but I did mention, I did notice that a couple of times during watching that game. So, you know, yeah. And sh- so shots on goal can be subjective based on the building you're at. It could also be context dependent. I remember bringing that up when St. Cloud routed CC on the road. What was that? November it was that five, nothing Saturday game, but the game was five, nothing like, in the second period, right? So, like, the third period, St. Cloud was taking the foot off the gas. They weren't really pushing it offensively, and CC had a large shot advantage in the third period. I think in the game, I think they even had a had more shots on goal than the Huskies did. But I said at the time, like, you can't, you can't really rely on shots on goal all the time to give you the narrative because CC was never in that game. Uh, yeah. They never were really dictating tempo when it mattered. I mean, and so that can be a, a, a context-dependent number to look at as well. So just watch the games. I, I Baseball is a sport that I think you don't need to watch the games, uh, but if you know the analytics enough, you can... There's people that... There, there are some writers. I get the, kind of the, the idea that they do not actually watch the game. They're just going by analytics. And baseball is a one-pit, one-event-at-a-time sport, 
where I think he can get away with that. Hockey is a sport you cannot just watch, read box scores and advanced metrics and really get a feel for the game. You need to watch the game. So that's my soapbox. Is the, the, any stats that you use are great. It helps you understand teams and individuals and leagues and all that better. But you still need to watch the game to really understand what happens in the game. So just don't use the stats to replace the viewing experience because that's, I think, where you're really going to get the most knowledge uh, out of a game. So that's my lesson, I guess. Just because you brought it up, I was just looking at Penn State. I did not know that they only had one win in their last six. Say that again? Um, Penn State uh, only has one win in their last six games. Yeah, and coughing up a 3 nothing lead. Uh, you know, we saw Duluth uh, getting out to the 3 nothing lead in St. Cloud, you know, making it interesting at least. But uh, Michigan coming back uh, on Penn State uh, on Saturday to overcome that deficit and, uh, you know, vaunted Michigan into basically they switched spots, I think, with uh, Penn State in the pairwise because of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they haven't been uh, they haven't been lighting the world on fire either, but still got to think they're pretty solid for a tournament position. And not only that, but they'll be able to host yeah. a regional this year. So getting playing in front of a Pennsylvania audience to boot come come uh, regional time. So do uh do keep an eye on them. Is there a stat who gen on who generates the most penalties against? So like which player has the most penalties against? Um, oh, like, oh, like they like draws the most penalties. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, Mark, uh, Lindbaum says he thinks Miller leads in that category. Treyball's neck, um, could be on the, uh, on the chopping block, yes. I would say for, for, for that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, Miller's a good pick and I've, as of late Rosboro too, <laughs> I think that, um, there's been a couple of times when, um, he's, uh, drew some penalties and won that, um, you know, uh, Denver that led to a goal where he really, uh, Barons was really upset with them and got him out of position. And that's where Rogers was able to kind of pop it in to, to get the Huskies to lead. But um, yeah, uh, Miller, I, I do think he is one of the best at that, which is good because, you know, I really like Miller, but uh, he has not been able to show up on the score sheet lately. Yeah. And it's been, he's been snake bitten. I mean, especially at that, what is that, that open net wrap around there yeah. that flew off his stick. I would, I just loved it. You know, I'd love to get him going. Um, I think that's imperative. I wouldn't mind that stat being available. Like you'd think that that wouldn't be too difficult. Maybe th- there might be some penalties where it's difficult to, maybe there's two possible plays or a scrum, for instance, that you don't know who exactly would have drawn or who the penalty was on. But you think that, you know, a trip, let's say, you just note the player that was tripped um, mm-hmm. because that would give you an, just an idea. Like, I, I wonder, you know, we talk about Mietten and never taking a penalty. I wonder too, how often he's drawing penalties. It, it gives you an idea of how willing a player is able to, you know, potentially draw a penalty. Like it's, it's 
playing a more aggressive style. It's it's uh, it would be interesting to figure that out, and you think it wouldn't be too difficult to record that as a stat. So I don't, I haven't seen that as a stat, but I I, I like the idea of it. I think they I think they keep track of that in the NHL, um, but not in college. But yeah, that would be a great stat to have. Um, I don't know why I thought about this now, but just going back to the Duluth weekend, I thought also Pierre just did not play well. Yeah. And I think he kept coughing up. The, I, yeah. I don't know if he's trying too hard or thinks his moves are just magically going to work and call. You just got to keep it simple. And somebody has to tell him that like it, that he's just, I think he's just trying too hard out there to try to force a play or force an issue or something like that. It's, it's driving me crazy. Yeah. Kind of playing a hero ball kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. and especially now with his role being increased, amplified due, due to, yeah. due to the amplified. That's a better term. Thank you. Due to the, uh, you're gonna, you're gonna, uh, I'll let you use it. That's right. Uh, his role being amplified due to the Anhorn injury. Um, yeah, some of the old habits are are flaring up here. Uh, a season that I thought he's been noticeably better than last. But uh, this was a step back this weekend for sure. Um and uh yeah, hopefully that's uh hopefully that's cleaned up uh going forward. Uh Eric Zamora, thoughts on Lisa Loeb's cover of Dream a Little Dream of Me? Uh, Eric Samora and I are big Lisa Loeb fans, so it's not a surprise that, uh, that he would ask me that question. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a wonderful rendition and I would ask anybody you should take a listen to it. It's really good. I might do that. Is that like from her? Does she, I mean, is she still pretty, I only know the stay, whatever the one hit wonder was like, uh, whatever the one hit wonder. Yes, it was or the biggest hit, the biggest hit, let's say. Um, is she still like regularly producing albums? Mm-hmm. Really? So is so is this from that like 93, 94 era of her or is this more modern day uh, output? You know, I am not entirely sure when this one was produced. Um, I want to say it's more recent um, because I think. Oh, let me double check here. Um, I think it's out of her Lullaby Girl album, which came out about five, six years ago, somewhere in there. Okay. I probably, I have a friend, so she's like, she's a big crossword person, as it turns out. Oh, yeah. And it's the glasses, I bet, right? Yeah. She plays in the, the stereotype there. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> the New York Times a couple years ago was doing like some celebrity uh, like uh, who else like Gary Trudeau was you know, did a puzzle uh, and they would they would hook him up with someone who's had published crosswords before. So a, a friend of mine was the one that got Lisa Loeb. So he, she, he was collaborating with her in this crossword and he said, oh, she's great. She's really nice. She's a blast to work with all this. I could probably get Lisa Loeb. Like, I could probably on the podcast. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> like, I have a, I have a decent connection on getting Lisa Loeb uh, to like email me back at least. So, just let me know if you want me to make those wheels 
start oh, man yeah that would be uh that would be a highlight of um uh definitely of uh zamora yeah he he would love that so um uh time to panic after the weekend uh felt like losing anhorn cocked the whole program um i mean that it it shows how impressive anhorn was um but i think you know it's time to write the ship we kind of talked about that um and yeah that's about all of them everything else we kind of touched on so hey great questions this week God, yeah you guys you guys love the salt as well i think that's what it kind of comes down to is it's more fun complaining about a, a, a team than uh <laughs> than everybody coming up and we're all rosy about how great everything is i think that's just how the internet works i suppose right that's right <laughs> Well, uh, that about does her uh, for this episode of the Huskies Hockey Podcast. We'll be back next week, hopefully talking about six points against Miami. Uh, you can uh, reach me at Twitter at more clappers, M-O-A-R clappers, more clappers. And Andrew plugged his email earlier, but if you want to plug it right here again. Yes, it's uh, Huskies Hockey Podcast at gmail.com. Perfect. And if you're Lisa Loeb, uh, please drop us an email. We'd uh, really appreciate I'm it. Sure, she's listening. <laughs> and until next time, go Huskies. Woo! Woo!